Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb, and it's Saturday, so once more we have a vault episode for you. This is going to be part two of Play the Record Backwards. This is a couple of episodes that I did with former producer Seth Nicholas Johnson, all about all, you know, all the various hidden things that might be going on in the grooves of old records or in uh, even files, CDs and so forth. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy it. The original episode published the 1st of December, 2022. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Seth Nicholas Johnson. Uh, Joe, as of this recording, still out on parental leave. We'll be back soon. Uh, but uh, in this episode, Seth and I are continuing our exploration of hidden messages and allegations of hidden messages, secrets and Easter eggs in music. In the last episode, we talked a lot about backmasking, about reversed audio. We mentioned some other examples of, of the, the way that things uh, can and were hidden in music. But in this episode, we are going to venture into the groove, into the record groove, and discuss uh, physical media in even more detail. We did touch on it a bit in the last one. So if you, if you basically know nothing about vinyl records and how you play a record, uh, go back and listen to that first episode because we, we do talk about some of that because, I mean, part of the background here for, for this discussion is as much as I admire certain vinyl records that come out and I see them, uh, you know, on a website or in a store, uh, I've never purchased one. And since a child, I've been uh, told to avoid touching vinyl records. Let the adults use that. Uh, you don't want to break the needle or scratch the record, etc. And so I've left them alone. Seth, on the other hand, uh, you have a very different relationship with records. Uh, absolutely. I've manufactured vinyl. Um, I've processed vinyl coming from um, like like full-blown uh, pressing plants. Uh, I've, I've been buying it most of my life. Um, 
for me, when I was younger, I reached a certain point where I inherited a few records from like my parents, but they didn't have a very sizable collection. But when I started going to record stores uh, in my youth to to buy CDs, there was a point when I realized, oh, wow, these other things are so much cheaper than the CDs. This would have been in like the 90s. And uh, that was all there was to it was I was just greedy for music. And I was just like, all right, how am I going to uh, uh, get as much music as possible? I'm going to buy these used records as much as I can. And in fact, at that stage, um, I I can give some deliberate examples. Like, for example, um, let's say uh, Radiohead. um, I might be wrong. The live recordings. That Mm -hmm. record, I remember holding a CD in one hand and a vinyl record in the other. And the record was cheaper. So I went, oh. All right, I guess I'm going with the record. Same thing with uh, Widow City by the Fiery Furnaces. Just like mm. that era, the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was like, oh, new vinyl is cheaper than new CDs. Now that is completely the opposite. So <laughs> be prepared if you're going into a record store. But at the time, it was not a very popular format. So that's why I got into vinyl. It was just because it was the less expensive option so I could buy more music. And uh, so yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of why it started for me. Now, in, in looking at a record and in playing a record this is this is where i really had no idea about any of this i kind of had this idea that if you if you place a record on the turntable you place a needle in the groove there's there's just one path that it is essentially it, i guess it's kind of like the, the distinction between a labyrinth and a maze if you if you if you have, if you make that distinction like a labyrinth there's only one way through it twists and turns but you can't get lost because there there are no dead ends it is a, a journey through complexity from point a to point b a maze however can be different a maze can have different paths through the complexity a maze can have dead ends it can have traps um, it can have dragons and trolls and so forth if you if you want. Um, and based on a lot of what I ended up reading here, and 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 based on what I think we're going to be discussing here, it does seem to me like actually vinyl records are more like this maze. There there is more. There is sometimes more than one path through the record. The good ones, <laughs> I, I would say. The average record. I think you're correct. There is a very deliberate path always starts in the same place out at the edge of the record always ends at the same place which is the inside of the record i think that's that's the most common route but there there are many examples of people trying new things people going different routes with that and this is this is so just counter to like the tape culture the dvd culture and then the subsequent digital media culture that uh, that 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 I most have most of my experience with, like there there was there we'll get into some examples. Yeah, you have things like hidden tracks uh, with uh, with CDs and so forth. But this is a whole different scenario. This is like the um, it, it, it's like the record as puzzle box, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's fun where you can hide these things. Uh, like I said, I've I've manufactured a lot of records on my own. In particular, um, I, I do what's called lathe embossed records. And uh, so here's here's a fascinating thing I have personally done, which I think is is really cool. So on a compact disc, okay, uh, the data is written from the inside you know, toward, towards the center to the mm-hmm. outside. Vinyl is the opposite. Uh, the, the information is on the outside going inside. So usually on a CD, there will be some blank space because there's like 80-something minutes of, of, of space on, on a compact disc. If you're, uh, whatever you're doing doesn't use up that much space, you have this extra room on the end. So what I've done, I have flipped a compact disc upside down and 
put a song from a vinyl, you know, embossing needle onto the mm-hmm. underside of the CD. And now not only is that a CD that can be played in a CD player, but if you flip it upside down and put it on a record player, you can play a song on the underside of the CD itself. So like Whoa. fun things <laughs> like that you can do with vinyl. And it's just not, it's, it, you know, that fun isn't there in most of the other mediums. All right, well, let's get into some specific examples here. And for this, I'm going to go back to an article that I referenced in the first episode that we did. This is by Jonathan uh, Weinel, Daryl Griffiths, and Stuart Cunningham in 2014's Easter Eggs, Hidden Tracks and Messages in Musical Mediums. And they write that there are three primary ways that records allow for hidden information. The first is something called locked grooves. So these are grooves which cause the turntable to play an endless loop. And I guess I get, uh, you, you'll have to maybe help me make sense of this, but is it like if the needle enters this particular groove, it will just go on forever in a circle? I have a record here next to me, coincidentally. I'll just show you literally on it. Sorry, I won't be able to show you because this is a, a audio medium, but right. I'm, I'm pointing it out to Robert. All right. So Robert, you see this record in front of you. Mm-hmm. The uh, song plays starting here at the outside and then mm-hmm. it moves to the inside, like I was saying. Now, when the needle gets past the songs, the record needs to stop it. It needs to stop the needle from just running into the paper label or anything like that. So mm-hmm. right here, right next to the label, like basically a big circle going around the paper label center of a record, that is where the traditional locked groove is. There's no sound on it. It's just... Instead of a spiral, because that's basically what a groove is. It's a very Mm -hmm. elaborate, very dense spiral, you know, containing different grooves and therefore vibrations and sound. The very, very bottom of that spiral, it doesn't still end as a spiral. It ends as as a solid circle. That way, the uh, needle, when it's finished, will more or less stay still. It'll just stay at, at that central point and it won't cut into the label or whatever. So if I'm, for instance, if I'm watching a film in which a record has, fin- this is my main um, uh, experience of this, in a movie, if a record is finished playing, sometimes it'll it'll just be that cha-chunk, cha-chunk kind of sound. That's the locked groove at the end of the record? Yes, although most locked grooves wouldn't make any sound at all. But but yes, correct. That, that, that kind okay. of like stereotypical loop uh, down there okay. at the end. Yes, yes. Well, the authors of this paper, they point out, quote, most records will only contain a silent locked groove to prevent damage to the needle when it reaches the end of a side, like you explained. Mm -hmm. The presence of a locked groove that contains music would be difficult to detect without prior knowledge or careful visual inspection of the grooves. Therefore, a music-containing locked groove has a good chance of surprising the listener during the performance of the recording. That's true. Uh, if you're looking at it from the outside, it doesn't look any different. Just just, just like um, for the most part, if you're looking at grooves on a record, you can't determine what's on them. Actually, you can. If you, if you get very, very talented eyes, eventually you can like tell what the silence looks like. But that's mm. that's that's just experts only. That's that's not the average person at all. The prime example that they mention in the paper of this is uh, of, of, of having music in the locked groove brings us back to the Beatles. A Day in the Life from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. This song enters a locked groove at the end of the song, a locked groove that contains music. And I, I mean, thinking back on the 
on the song. I, I mean, I know where this is occurring, but I only have experience with like the CD version of this. Right. Um, I, I had this album on CD when I was, I think, in high school. Um, but if you were playing the record, that final tone of the song potentially goes on forever. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. As, as, as long as you don't lift it. Because, yeah, like I was saying, that central locked groove, It's there's no data there. It's silent. There, it's, there's no mm-hmm. sound. It's just like you're saying, like, ka-chunk, ka-chunk chunk chunk it's just moving in a circle but there, there's no rule that says you can't put some some noise on those grooves why not you know mm-hmm. why not have that circle be a loop of audio why not and, and have you experimented with this uh in creating records i have many times because it's fun <laughs> like why wouldn't you you know uh so um most importantly uh something to keep in mind when you're doing this is that it's actually a a, a pretty small window for, for to, to mm-hmm. create that loop so uh, a typical record rotates at 33 and a third revolutions per minute uh, some are 45 but that's uh that's usually for singles so yeah 33 and a third revolutions per minute which means that a single rotation of the record one needle going all the way around is 1.8 seconds so that's how long your loop has to be 1.8 oh, seconds wow. no more no less so so um here's an example of one i've done i, I did one where it was called uh it was a series called skip records where what i did was um oh, oh that's actually another good great example if you ever uh, are listening to a record that's damaged and the record starts skipping mm-hmm. it's always the same duration it's always 1.8 seconds because that same fragment is going to be playing again and oh, again and again okay. uh, that, that that's why um you can actually tell if someone is faking a skipping record because it'll be longer or shorter than that quick just like zip a dip a dip a zip a dip a dip up it's that it's that 1.8 second loop and uh, in fact when, when when i am manufacturing records that's the final step before i finish a record is um so if you can picture it in your mind there is basically um a, an arm that has a cutting needle uh, usually it's a a sapphire or a ruby and it's pressing into the uh the, i usually use polycarbonate it's pressing into the polycarbonate and it's moving from left to right on, on like a spiral arm basically what mm-hmm. you do is when you're done recording is you stop that arm from moving left or right. Then you go one, 1,000, two, 1,000, and then you lift it up. And what you're doing by by stopping the movement is you're ending that spiral in a single place and you wait one, 1,000, two, 1,000 for it to complete that circle and end that loop. But if you are still playing audio when you do that one one thousand two one thousand what you're doing is still putting data putting information putting sound into that loop and you can make it go forever so like i was saying I had a series called Skip Records where my whole point was I wanted it to sound like a record was just skipping for five minutes straight. Don't mm-hmm. ask me why. It's art. <laughs> you know, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I did this multiple times. And the fun part is, is that I on these records, I always ensured that the final groove was always a locked groove. Therefore, potentially, the, the, these records loop forever that there is no end to this record and it can just play uh, until your record player breaks or until until there's a power outage it's just it's a, it's a, it's a forever equation wow and do you have favorite examples uh, of this from uh, from from other records from uh, from bands and so forth there, there's a lot and actually it's it's fun to me because like you said you, you you usually don't know when it's going to happen so for me if i put on a record and it's playing and it ends up in a locked groove and you've never heard this record before you might be off on the other side reading or playing a video game or doing the dishes who knows mm-hmm. and you notice that like 
wow, it's been doing this one tone for like 45 minutes. That's not even possible on a record. <laughs> like there's not that much room. What is happening? And you walk over and you're like, ah, this record's got a locked groove. Uh, mm. This happened to me once on one of my favorite records. And this is my favorite example of this. The 1997 uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor album, F-sharp, A-sharp, Infinity. Uh, the final track, uh, Bleak, Uncertain, Beautiful, it ends on a locked groove playing the, the final two notes of the song. And those last two notes are F-sharp and A-sharp. And ah. by being on a locked groove, they play for infinity. And yeah, I still remember the first time I played that record. And when that needle hit that that final moment, it just kept going and going and going. And I was like, this is wonderful. Like, it, it, it took me... You know, I had to be active. I had to, I had to realize that something was was not right. Investigate and realize what they had done to me and my time. It's 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 a fun practice, you know. Do you uh, maybe this doesn't occur, but uh, do you are you ever in a position where someone comes up to you and says like, oh, I'm I don't know anything about records, but I'm going to get into records now. I'm going to start buying vinyl, and then do you have to warn them like, look people have laid traps for you <laughs> <laughs> the, the main one which i actually will warn people about because these things we're discussing a locked groove doesn't happen that often so some other techniques we're about to discuss don't happen that often it's it's it's, it's pretty rare and they're and they're extra cool because of it one that is extremely common that actually happens all the time not just to others but to me as well is the difference between a 33 and a third record and a 45 record because mm. 45 rpm records uh, I'm, I'm sure you you, you uh, everyone would understand this a 45 rpm it's spinning faster so therefore the data that's put onto it the the the, the vibrations the grooves are at a different speed you know, so if you, if you put on a 45 RPM record at 33 and a third, it's extremely slowed down. So mm. you might have a completely incorrect view of a song if you don't pay attention to what the speed is. And uh, there, there's audiophile pressings of records where they'll have full 12-inch records that are printed at 45 RPM because there's there's more room for the grooves so they can sound better, blah, blah, blah. And so you just have to know, you have to, hopefully the artist has labeled the record, this is a 45 RPM, or you just have to listen to it and go, that's not right. Try it at 33 and a third, try it at 45 and go, okay, that's right. But, <laughs> but sometimes you won't know. Sometimes they won't label it and they won't tell you. So you just have to make your best guess. Like, like REM, for example used to never label the sides of their records like there was no side a side b it was just hey you listen to one and then you listen to the other i'm not telling you which is which and not until <laughs> cds came around did they have to eventually decide and put a, a, an actual track order for you and it, it, there were a couple that i learned i had the wrong order like for example um i always listened to murmur by rem side b first then side a but i had no way of knowing that until i bought a cd of it Wow. All right. We'll we'll get back to to track ordering in a bit. Uh, there's going to be more on that. But getting back to the the three main methods of hiding stuff in the grooves here from that uh, 2014 paper, the next one they mention is inverse grooves. So this, if I'm understanding this correctly, it is a record that's meant to be played backwards. If you play it forwards, you are playing it backwards. Is that correct? Yes. Think, think about it this way. Um, as we were discussing, when you're playing a record, you start the needle at the rim and you mm -hmm. press play and it continues until it hits the label. That's the traditional way a record plays. 
the the the, the grooves are set up that way. It, the spiral leading down to the drain, you know, that's that's the way it goes. These are the other way around. You are supposed to start the needle in the middle and then it plays out to the edge, almost like manga style. It's like, oh, oh mm-hmm. start oh, yeah, the yeah. other end, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they mentioned a couple of examples of this. One is a, this one, I don't know, uh, if, were you familiar with this particular um, group? This is a Nomex track titled no. Gorf Beat One from the Praxis USA EP. And it includes uh, the instructions to play it. One must place the needle at the point where you would expect the track to end. And then they also mention Megadeth's single for Sweating Bullets, which was an inverse groove uh, pressing, and it had a warning on the packaging that said, quote, paranoid pressing on blue vinyl. Warning, do not attempt to play this record in the conventional manner. Both sides reverse play from the inside groove outwards. It makes sense, because I bet the average person, they would just assume their record was broken, you know? Because uh, if you did put it the correct place and pressed forward, best case scenario, you're getting it to play backwards. More probable is that because that is starting with the locked groove, it won't be able to enter into that spiral. So it'll Mm. just sit there and you'll just hear nothing or maybe a little little skipping or some static. But um, uh, another great example of this, uh, this is found on Jack White's 2014 solo album, Lazaretto. Jack White and his record label Third Man Records are known for doing all kinds of fun gimmicky things like uh, they have like liquid core records. They have (laughs) records where like there'll be a a, a 45 inch record hidden inside of a 12 inch. So you have to like cut open the record to pull out another (laughs) record like he he's done a lot of really fun, interesting things. He is the Willy Wonka of of, of record manufacturers. And I, I really admire him for that. Um, for his 2014 album, Lazaretto, he just wanted to put it all in one record. He wanted to be all the gimmicks all at once. So he he um, called this version of Lazaretto the Ultra LP. And it's got so many fun gimmicks and innovations that we would need literally an entire episode just to break them down. But you, you, you can find copies of it to see online. I believe there's also a YouTube video, which I sent you, Robert, which has Jack White just pointing out every single wacky gimmick of this one single <laughs> record. But but uh, on side one of this record, it does play backwards. Like you're saying, you have to start the needle by the label and it plays out to the rim. And I wonder how many people just couldn't figure that out because <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i mean it's um i know a lot of people who just in life they aren't reading instructions kind of people you know like if they get a piece of furniture from ikea they're not going to read the instructions they're just going to put it together and i'm mm-hmm. sure buying a record you don't even assume that there will be instructions you know whether it was megadeth with uh, sweating bullets or whether it's jack white with lazaretto why would there be instructions <laughs> so you just you just play it and you're confused why it's not working yeah, this uh, Lazaretto album, we, when you initially mentioned it to me in our, our, our chat, you listed all the gimmicks it had, and I, I didn't even understand all of them. It, it, it seems like, it, it, it makes me think of um, of the book um, House of Leaves. This mm-hmm. feels like it, it's like the House of Leaves of vinyl records. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was very popular. I, I believe, I know it was the best-selling record at the time, but I think like for the year, it was like the best-selling vinyl record for that year.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, moving on to the next example that they give in this paper, double grooves or parallel grooves. Quote, records where two grooves run simultaneously through a record, causing the needle to play different material depending where it is initially placed. This is apparently sometimes referred to as a third side. Yeah, I've also heard these called three-sided records, and uh, yeah, there, there's there are a few names for this, but these these are these are much more rare. These these are fascinating. Yeah, you're you're gonna have to keep explaining this one to me. Um, the couple of examples that they mention, there's the Monty Python matching tie and handkerchief from 1973, which. The, the packaging's pretty neat on this because the album is packaged to look like you're buying a matching tie and handkerchief, which right. is, is fun. But side two has two different grooves. So depending on where you place the needle, you'll get different material. Now, I, I have firsthand experience because I own this record. 
And okay. it's it's amazing. Here's the best part I can say about this. Uh, this one entirely worked on me because I didn't even know that there was a hidden third side until I read about it later and had to investigate for myself. Like, like, like that's not printed on the record anywhere that there is hidden music or I guess hidden comedy on this record. Mm-hmm. It's, so, so here's here's I think their goal, which was so all records side A side B. The side with two parallel grooves, what's happening is, um, yeah, I, I guess picture that spiral again, but there are two completely different lines to that spiral right next to each other going all the way down to that center. So therefore, when you're putting that needle in that groove, you have basically a 50-50 chance. Are you going to be in the one groove or the groove right next to it that never match up? So here's the fun. The fun part is that you you listen to side A, everything sounds normal. You turn it over, you put on side B, you listen to it, everything's normal. And then you, you put put away your record. Next month, you want to listen to it again. Side A, everything's normal, put it on side B. Wait, this isn't the side B I've heard before. What's <laughs> happening? And so you listen to it, you're like, I swear I heard this differently before. But okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. You put it aside, you pull it out, put it on again. Sometimes side A is normal, side B, it's that first side again. You're like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> last time this joke was on there. Or or maybe you're like talking to your friends. You're like, hey, what about that one part? You know, did you did you love track three? They're like, that's not track three. It's like, no, no, it definitely is. Come over to my house, I'll play it for you. You put it on and it plays the wrong side. You're like no 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 I swear <laughs> like it's 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 like a fun it seems like it's 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 almost gaslighting you you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a very fun gimmick now is this I'm reminded of of a, a trope that you encounter in in a lot of like horror and mystery uh, TV shows and st- short stories where someone realizes that there's a hidden compartment in a room based on the right. fact that this room is smaller than the adjoining room. Yes. Is that, would that be something with this scenario? Like if you were really on the lookout for this sort of trick, would you notice that like one side of the record seemed shorter than the other? You, you would have to be really on your toes because uh, the side of a, of a typical 12-inch record can be anywhere from like 10 minutes to 30 minutes, depending upon how closely mm. you put those grooves together. But yes, you, you, you would be able to notice if you paid very close attention to how much space was being taken up by the grooves because it's only playing half of those grooves when it's going, going down the line playing all the audio. So like a physical investigation would be needed. It wouldn't just be like, well, that side felt this long and this one feels different or something. It'd be possible. But yeah, yeah, you would have to be paying a lot of attention. And uh, and for me, I I needed someone to tell me. I needed someone to tell me that a record in my collection had three sides before I before I realized it. The, the other example that they bring up in the paper is Mr. Bungle's Disco Volante from 1995 in which uh, Hidden Grooves contain the songs Secret Song and songs by, quote, the Secret Chiefs Trio. And then uh, they also mention that Secret Song is said to be notoriously difficult to find with the needle. That, that's another part that you can do on purpose. So, uh, for example, I believe on the matching, uh, the, the, the Monty Python record, it's more or less like a 50 50 because just when you're when mm-hmm. you're creating those grooves, you just make the openings, you know, the same size. But let's say, for example, you want that second song to really be a secret, well, then you don't create an opening for it. You have it exist entirely cut off from that primary groove, and it can just live there, and no one will ever find it unless they deliberately not start the record at the beginning, but just trial and error, just kind of drop it in the middle of the record, hoping that it lands on the correct groove that they want to find. Wow. So 
technically you could have situations where there could be albums out there with secret grooves, with secret information in them that have never been discovered, that, that Nicolas Cage has not, uh, his character in a film or Tom Hanks' character in a film has not put on the record uh, to discover yet. Very possible. Now, I would say in all likelihood, depending upon like the, the many ways people start records, I'm sure there's a large percentage of the world that doesn't carefully place the needle at the beginning of, of each record before they start. They do just plop it on wherever. So I, mm-hmm. I bet it would be found pretty quickly, I, I would assume, just based on people's sloppy handling of their record needles. So do you have any other fun examples of double grooves, parallel grooves, and third sides? There's a couple I've heard of, but but um, I, I've never seen. This, this is a great one that uh, I, I would love to see this in person someday, but I, I've only read about it. It's a horse racing board game. So what you do is everyone uh, picks their horses, you know, standard, like typical, you know, betting forms. And you read a little description about which horse is what and blah, blah, blah. And then you uh, start the record, which contains all the sound effects of, you know, being at the uh, the downs and all that, and there, there's an announcer calling the horse race. Uh, however, the record has multiple parallel grooves, each with a different result. So you never know which horse is actually going to be the winner when you put that groove on. So so it's hmm. almost like a choose your own adventure, except you don't get a choice. <laughs> you know? Oh wow! Yeah, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from anyone out there who knows of other examples of this because it seems like it's the sort of sort of gimmick that that people you know, would have had a lot of fun with. Like, I don't know, some sort of narrative use of it with with uh, with some sort of a storytelling technique, you know? Kind of like Clue, the movie, where you watch yeah. it and it's got like the multiple endings, kind of like that, yeah, you know? Exactly. That'd, be, that'd be fun. Uh, th- th- here's one more example, because we've already mentioned it. Uh, going back again to the ultra LP version of Jack White's Lazaretto, like I said, he's got a million gimmicks on this one. Uh, He has a version of Parallel Grooves that I've never seen before. Track one on side B, it's a song called Just One Drink. It has two completely different intros to the song that are Parallel Grooves, but they both feed in to to the primary groove again, so the rest of the record plays completely normal. So it's it's it starts off as two spirals and then they both funnel into the one standard spiral. So it, it's oh, wow. it, and once again it's just luck. When when you put on that needle for the first time, it, it's it's just a chance of am I going to play the like like the harder version of the intro or the softer more acoustic version of the intro? It's just fifty fifty. Who knows what you're going to get? And man, that's fun. Like you can't get that uh, with other mediums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the CD, tape culture, we never had anything like that. We'll get into some examples of what we did have, but they didn't create this kind of level of almost quantum uncertainty. Like, what will happen when I start playing this song? I mean, to a certain extent, that mystery is there when you play a new album for the first time. But the idea that subsequent returns to that album, that there could be not just things that were subjectively different, but objectively different things about the listening experience. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get into the CD age a little bit, and let's eventually get into the the digital uh, realm as well. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about so-called hidden tracks, secret tracks. Uh, this is this is an area that I I have more familiarity with because again I was I was more of a, a, a CD guy than certainly than, than than anything like CDs were this was the right period where I really got into like choosing my own uh, musical interests choosing the bands that I wanted to devote time to and then also I guess at the time too it's like CDs were starting to get a little pricey so whatever you bought 
like this was a deliberate choice. Not only is this an album you wanted to listen to, you would you would make sure you liked it or you would really give it a chance because this was going to be your, your album for the you know for for a week or two, uh, maybe more until you could conceivably buy another album. So you know we get into this realm of of secret tracks, and I guess the thing about secret and hidden tracks is they ultimately really weren't that well hidden. I mean, certainly nothing compared to the vinyl examples we've discussed. Right, right. I mean, um, I did enjoy sometimes, and I think this is pretty rare, when there was literally a hidden disc inside the CD packaging. That was fun when that would happen on occasion. But for the most part, it, it was, yeah, you'll, you'll explain. For the most part, it was pretty straightforward to have some hidden songs. Yeah, like the main examples that come to my mind are like uh, Tools, Undertow, and the Nine Inch Nails EP, Broken. Uh, the the versions that I had just had a bunch of like extra blank tracks, and then mm-hmm. eventually the tracks containing the extra songs. And I be- I didn't know about this till I was just re- researching it again for this episode. But apparently, with Nine Inch Nails, the original CD pressing and the vinyl pressing of Broken had an extra smaller disc that had the the bonus tracks on them. That that was a, a very brief window when, uh, yeah, they, they were like these little mini CDs that in theory could play in any CD player. Like, in fact, if, if you happen to have a CD player at home, it, especially one, one the kind with like a tray, you pop it open and you'll notice that there's actually a, a smaller imprint inside where the bigger imprint is. That's for these smaller CDs. But that medium lasted like a blink of an eye. I think they were more popular in in, uh, in somewhere in Asia. I want to say Japan. Mm. They, they lasted longer. But yeah, no, they, they didn't last here very long at all. I remember, though, thinking that this was clever and cool. And there was this kind of idea that it's like, yeah, Nine Inch Nails, they're kind of they're sticking it to the man. They have these, and they're they're then they're delivering bonus content to us, the fans. <laughs> yeah. That the clearly the record labels didn't want this on here, but they said no. We insist we're going to hide it at the end, where the inspectors won't find it first. <laughs> right. Hey. Hey. Why not? <laughs> I like that narrative. <laughs> I, I I like picturing you know a, a Trent Reznor with these little mini CDs hiding at the factory, just slipping yeah. them into each and every package. <laughs> I mean, I guess it wouldn't be entirely out of, out of carry. There were the like later story. I forget what album this was, but the idea that like some of the, the the tracks were leaked to the media by leaving a USB in a bathroom at a concert or something. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's all fun stuff. <laughs> now another example for the the secret track. Another way the secret track or hidden track was often utilized would be just have a big long gap after the final listed track on the album, and then eventually a hidden track starts playing. And of course, the reverse of that is once you know it's there, if you want to listen to the hidden track, you just fast forward through the final track to get to that content. It's funny, too, because um, all of these examples, uh, they're, they're all so tied to the CD itself. In fact, mm-hmm. do you remember um, negative time on a CD player? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what... I had one album in particular that did this, but I can't recall what it was. A big thing that would happen, uh, this this is like not during the early days of CDs, but more towards the later days when basically um, a CD was really kind of being pushed to its to its limits of like what it mm-hmm. could contain and, and maybe getting a bit more secretive, getting a bit weirder with it. If there was like a bit of audio that existed kind of between tracks, whether it be like maybe a bit of a skit or an intro or just sort of like an uh, in the studio outtake or something, 
when it was playing and you could watch the time on the little um the digital readouts it would be like you know five seconds six seconds seven seconds negative six seconds negative five seconds negative four seconds and in that negative space would be this additional noise little little skit little outtake whatever little intro mm-hmm. So that way, when you skipped to the the final, to, to like the real song, it would start where the song starts. But if you listen to the album all the way through, this negative space would just give a bit more context, a bit more padding, a bit more like um, continuity, you know? And I, I, th- I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty fun. But also when we reached the age of digitizing our CDs and putting them onto, you know, our MP3 players and whatever, oh, that, that became a headache. <laughs> Now, I don't even know how to classify this one. This one's not an example that was brought up in the paper, but an album that I that I had, and this is a, a great album, the, the Caius album from 1994, Welcome to Sky Valley, comes to mind. This one had this weird structure where it does have a hidden track at the end, uh, which is real dumb, but it also has 10 tracks overall. The first, the, the, I mean, 10 songs overall. The first three songs are all one track, the, the next three songs are all one track, and the last four songs are all one track. And I'm not really clear on why they did this, but I remember being more annoyed by it than anything, because sometimes you want to listen to an album all the way through, but sometimes you just want to hear Demon Cleaner, which is a really great track off of that album, a really great song off of that album, but is the third song in track number two. It's a little hard to get to if you just want that. I can't speak to um, this specific example, but I can give this example. Um, just recently, uh, I had Joe on on my podcast, Rusty Needles Record Club, and we did uh, the self-titled Black Sabbath album. And yes. on it, the American version combined a bunch of the tracks into fewer tracks. So like the original European version, let's say, had 10 tracks. The American version had like six tracks. The albums were more or less identical. They swapped out one song, but that's that's beside the point. More or less identical, just far fewer tracks. And when you mm-hmm. look it up, like, why did this happen? It was just a record label thing. They're like, oh, we were paying them by the track. So if, <laughs> if we give them fewer tracks, we don't have to pay them as many residuals, you know? And what's funny is like now the opposite is true. Like, um, for example, let's go back to the idea of like a hidden track inside uh, of a CD where it used to be, let's say, let's let's say there are 10 tracks on the album and one hidden bonus track. So that 10th track would be a song, long gap, and then another song. So 11 songs, 10 physical tracks. In today's modern streaming age, basically they've gotten, they've more or less gotten rid of that. Now, whenever I see something that used to have a hidden track, it's just chopped off and turned into a bonus track because the opposite is true. Now, now the record label gets paid by these streaming services for every single individual track. So they Mm -hmm. want as many tracks as possible. If they can, they'll cut it up and do a hundred tracks, you know? (laughs) And it's it's just interesting that we that we, like the opposite is true of the record label wanting more money. They used to force you to put it in as few tracks as possible, and now they're forcing you to cut it into as many tracks as possible. And it's just you know it's going to keep flip flopping forever until I don't know until business people don't want money. So beats me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there there are plenty of examples that that you can point to where if if nothing else they do the whole just throw an extra hidden song there at the end after some some blank blank space you know a little quiet and then something else pops up and and sometimes it was clearly they were trying to be cheeky and maybe it was some sort of a track that was a little cruder or a little, little dumber or supposed to be cryptic and other times it was like I, I think i had a natalie merchant album that just had a, a really neat folk song at the very end of things and there, there's not really any 
I don't know if there's any logical reason to have this be a hidden track, but it was it was there hidden. Um, but but yeah, nowadays you pull up these same albums, and uh, I guess sometimes they're still going to keep that together, but a lot of times the the hidden track is just going to be listed there, right? Look, I'm not uh, working for Jack White. I'm not getting paid for every time I mention the Lazaretto <laughs> Ultra LP. But uh-huh. I'm going to bring it up one more time because get this. These are a couple of examples of hidden tracks that blow my mind. He hid tracks underneath the paper labels oh on the record itself. <laughs> and also he, he put them uh, with two different um, speeds uh, revolutions per minute than the, the record itself. The record itself is 33 and a third. Underneath one paper label, it's 78 RPM. And then underneath the other one is 45. So on this one record, it has three different RPMs. It's wild. And the way it works basically is that he did imprint a song on traditional grooves under, you know, in, in that center space that's reserved for the label. And then when you do the actual pressing, pressing, what happens is that the label itself just kind of gets sucked into it a little bit. So the sound quality is not that great. And I guess if you really wanted to, you could like remove the label, you could like tear it off, but mm-hmm. you can, it's possible just to play it directly through the label. You just place your needle directly on top of that paper label and it will play the song that's underneath. Oh my goodness. Once again, not an ad for Jack White. I like him, but he's not paying me. <laughs> All right. Well, there may be some more examples of, of hidden songs and tracks from, well, uh, perhaps from vinyl, but but certainly there may be some more examples from the CD age that folks can mention. I guess w- without even getting into it much, there also is that that late CD period. I guess it's kind of late CD period uh, where you also have CDs that can be placed inside in, in your computer's disk drive. Mm. Uh, so you can go to some sort of crappy website or uh, some sort of a, like a visual thing that lines up with the album. But I don't know if that has Jack White come back around to that. At all? <laughs> no, I think he's, he's, he's mostly an analog guy. I don't think okay. he uh, is hiding, you know, PC wallpapers <laughs> on any of his uh, records yet. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School Podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, there is another really uh, interesting area that that, uh, that some of you may be thinking of already, and this gets into the idea of having images hidden, not not as a PC wallpaper, not as something that's in the, the liner notes for the, the, the album or anything like that, but actually in the sound data itself. Uh, and the idea here is that, yeah, you'll have something in the sound data that if you run it through a, a, a spectrogram editor and synthesizer, you can produce an image, um, a, the, the image that was encoded as music or encoded as sound anyway, inside of a musical piece or inside of an album. These are absolutely stunning to me. I, 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 I do this stuff every day. And in fact, because, you know, the, the programs that you use to look at these images, they're, they're the programs I use to edit these shows. You know, that's that, mm-hmm. that's that's just part of my repertoire. And I have actually looked into creating these myself and I'm I'm still in awe, even though I know how they do it. It's ridiculous. I I, I poof. The the most famous example of this, I think, or well, it, it's one of the most famous examples, and, and in some circles, the most famous example. And this is the one that's mentioned in that um, that paper from from Wynel Griffiths and Cunningham, the 1999 song "Window Liquor" by Aphex Twin. If you run this one particular part of the song, the sound through uh, this system. You of course get to see uh, Richard James. Uh, that's Aphex Twin. You get to see his his grinning face. It's it's amazing because first of all, it looks even spookier than it always looks. You know, Richard D. James is always doing some kind of spooky thing with his face, whether it's turning it into a mask and putting on a child or whatever. <laughs> but um, man, oh man, it, it's it's so fascinating too because like. You know, uh, if you think about these these programs, what they're doing is they're showing you, you know, the, the visualization of the audio waves. So the way you put these images in there is you reverse engineer it. You create the image first, and then you basically determine what those sounds would need to be to create that image. And then you can just basically put it in your song and boom, you've got it. But it's so funny because... Every example of this I've seen, it's very obvious that something strange is going on in the audio because this yeah. is not a typical wave. It's a picture of Richard James' face. <laughs> yeah, it's not just a case where, oh, yeah, that's, uh, if you play this backwards satanic message, like it's clear that something is there. And then when you, when you run it through, you can see uh, the artist's face. Or in the case of um, a particular track from Venetian Snares, that's the, the moniker of uh, Aaron Funk, um, there's a picture of his cat. 
<laughs> that one I, I found very, very sweet, of course. Um, in part because I wasn't familiar with it. I was familiar with the Aphex Twin example. And when I heard there was a Venetian snares, when I was like, I don't know what this image is going to be, but it's it's just a cat. It's yeah, cool. it's nice. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun way to do this. And I, I, I think I particularly like these two. It reminds me of, um, I've seen uh, people in the olden days when they were... Uh, computer programmers in the deep past not 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 um not in the contemporary sense but in the way that you're actually like fooling around with like microchips like that mm -hmm. old style of computer programmer uh the computer programmers would write little messages to one another onside the chips when they put them in computers that way years mm -hmm. later you come across something and it has something written on it that no one would read except another programmer who who is you know fiddling around with this machine and and from what i understand people who write code these days often do a similar thing so i think this kind of hidden message in a song it very much is like one audio producer talking to another audio producer going like hey look isn't this funny and it's like yeah it is <laughs> good job <laughs> There's at least one uh, more really good example of this, and this might be in some sort of this might be the most famous example, uh, depending on where you're coming from. But the 2007 Nine Inch Nails album Year Zero, which uh, which I think is a great album, I'll occasionally uh, play this one. Uh, Agreed. Today, yeah, it has I think two different spectrograms. I was only familiar with the first one, but the spectrogram at the end of the track, My Violent Heart, and it's a, like a hand reaching down from the sky, which is also a theme of the uh, the, the cover for the album. I mean, I, I can't imagine how many of these are unseen in the world, because I think even more so than, um, oh, a hidden song on a record or a hidden song on a CD, the vast majority of people will never <laughs> run their audio through through a spectrogram. It's never going to happen. So uh, unless you are a person, you know, who has that background and you think you hear something and you happen to upload it in and look at it, I, I bet there's a lot of hidden stuff that's never been seen before. Now, there's one more example uh, that's brought up, and that is um, this idea of, of black middies, which is not something I was familiar with. But it's brought up in this paper uh, about Easter eggs and music. And these are apparently MIDI files that contain an absurd amount of data that when played back in a program can produce patterns when they cause the program to fail. And I'm not sure I completely understand this one, but it, it's still interesting. There's still something about, it almost sounds like let's take the, the music and like crash it. <laughs> and, uh, and in doing so, we'll, cre we'll create these, uh, these visuals. So the idea of a, of a black MIDI is pretty interesting, too, because it it, uh, it ties into a much older idea, which is we as human beings are limited by what we can do with our hands. It, it's difficult mm -hmm. for us to go beyond what is physically possible. We, we, we have two hands for the most part, 10 fingers for the most part. This is what we can do, let's say, on a piano. A piano can only do what the human being can do. Maybe you can add another person, but other than that, we're, we're just human beings, so back in the days when people first started mechanizing musical instruments, folks started experimenting with this. One of my favorites, I'm going to get his name wrong because I don't think I've ever pronounced it correctly because I've heard it too many ways, a guy named Conlon Nancaro, C-O-N-L-O-N-N-A-N-C-A-R-R-O-W. Uh, uh, he's an experimental musician. Um, now, one of the things he did, which, which many call him the first electronic musician because of this, is he would create uh, roles for player pianos, you know, those kind of pianos that mm -hmm. play themselves. And he was like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a human being. This is a machine. I can make this thing do whatever I want. So he would do things that he would program for these player pianos that were impossible, you know, 
too many hands, notes playing too quickly in succession, you know, just all these things. Uh, a lot of it was really, really fast. And it was just, it was such like a fascinating idea of like, oh, I'm going to create music that was meant to replicate human hands, but I'm going to make it for for nobody. This is, this is completely imaginary music that nobody could ever play. And so, so his music's really fascinating. I, I highly recommend it. Look it up. But that's the same idea behind a black MIDI, which is... Um, if folks don't know, a MIDI file is more or less the zeros and ones behind a digital instrument playing music. It's uh, the kind of music mm -hmm. that's played in most video games, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you uh, are playing a piano that turns it into MIDI data, it's documenting it and you know putting all those little pieces in place. So when you play it back, it plays it back the exact same way. Same thing, just like with that idea that uh, Canlan Nakaro was doing you just start putting in extra data, things that are completely impossible, things that your hands could never do, things that there there aren't there isn't enough time. There is there there aren't enough fingers in the world to ever actually play this. And it gets to such an enormous degree that it's that it's impossible and it breaks. So um there's an example of this. I, I don't know if you if you've ever heard about this, but uh, uh do you know the song Rush E? I don't. Okay, I'm I'm gonna show this to you. Audience will be right back. Woo! That uh, that was something. Uh, it's it started off uh, rather subtle and kind of pleasant, and then it got really intense. I guess to, to to describe this to anyone who hasn't watched the the video presentation of this is you have a keyboard at the bottom, and you have little blocks falling, and it's kind of like Tetris, I guess. If 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 blocks when they reach the bottom, they just play the keys that they land on. A bit like uh, Guitar Hero too. Oh yeah, yeah, like Guitar Hero. Mm -hmm. And I guess the idea is that. Early on, we're seeing things that are very possible with human hands, with a human piano player. But then it gets increasingly complex um, to, to the level where no human with even like four arms could play this thing. <laughs> no. I mean, and I, I honestly commend the creator of this. Um, I, I believe this one is created by someone named um, Sheet Music Boss. You can find this mm -hmm. video online. It's very popular. It's been memed to death. It's... Um, uh, gosh, got many, many millions of views. So check it out if you haven't. It is something to see. I really have to commend them on like the build of this because it starts off just like mildly impossible, and then like wow, this is really impossible. And by the time you reach the end, it's ludicrously impossible. Like, mm -hmm. like, 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 like the, it's crisscrossing. It's spelling images. It's like it's it's every key being played simultaneously, and yet it still sounds pretty good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, but a, it just like orders of magnitude though in complexity begin to drop on you. I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of like yeah, if, if Tetris suddenly got like like huge leap in difficulty and just how <laughs> overwhelming that feels. I mean, I was a little anxious watching and listening to it. <laughs> so yeah, so this song is called Rush E. It's a it's very much a meme song. Um, there's a long backstory uh, to how this came to be. It has to do with Markiplier, the YouTube gamer. Like it's a long history that I can't go into right now. Uh, but ultimately, it's just a song that's so complex that uh, not only is it impossible for humans to play, but it's even too complex for some computers to handle. And thus its title of being a black MIDI, uh, that it's basically, it's going to brick your computer. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that's more or less what a black MIDI is. And Rush E is perhaps the most famous example of a black MIDI. Now I've said the words black MIDI several times, so I would be completely remiss if I didn't mention one of my favorite contemporary bands, Black MIDI. Uh, they've released three albums so far. Their 2022 album, Hellfire, 
is in contention for one of my favorite albums of the year. And I assume they picked their band name because their sound is very maximalist. It's very busy. Oh, yeah. It's very complex and it's very intricate. So I'm, I'm sure they, they they picked their band name for that purpose. But a, a wonderful group. I, I highly recommend people check out Hellfire. One of the best albums of 2022, I promise you. Oh, neat. Let's check that out. Now, going in the entirely opposite direction from like PC crashing um, complexity, there is another, just one last uh, topic to, to to touch on here, and this by, this is by no means an exhaustive list of the way that stuff can be hidden in music. There may be other examples, and feel free to write in about them. But another thing you can do is simply take a sound, take a song, and either speed it up or stretch it out. So time stretching is uh, is one worth uh, mentioning here. It's a matter of taking sonic information and stre- stretching it out so that it's unrecognizable, but in doing so, perhaps making it interesting, uh, more interesting, certainly more ambient, or in the reverse, you know, you can you can certainly uh, speed things up. Um, and in all of this, it reminded me a bit of um, there are various videos that'll do this online where they'll take Alvin and the Chipmunk songs in which, of course, you have human voices sped up to be the voices of of chipmunks. And then if you slow it down enough, the chipmunks sound like normal adult human beings, and it's everything else that sounds like it's from the Twilight Zone in a realm of monsters. Yeah, it's very sludgy, very slow, very lethargic. And it's it's very fun to listen to a whole album of, of these uh, uh, slowed-down chipmunk songs, but it's also amazing how much slower and longer these songs are. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, because imagine if you're listening to it at its regular speed, it's what, you know, half hour, something like that. Mm-hmm. You slow it down, and man, you've got like an hour and a half Alvin and the Chipmunks album. Maybe you don't want to be listening to it that long, <laughs> but it's 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 fun. It's always fun. Yeah, it uh, listening to too much audio sped up or slowed down, I find it kind of sort of messing with me after a while. Um, like if I'm queuing an episode and I have yes. it sped up too much, it, I, I feel like I have to walk outside a little bit afterwards. Now, when I'm editing these episodes, a little peek behind the curtain for our listeners, uh, quite often I'll do it at either uh, plus 25%, uh, plus 50%, and on rare occasions up to plus 100%. So I'm listening at 2x speed. Ooh. And... Um, Usually it does doesn't last too long because I'll, I'll have to stop to make edits and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, oh man, I I am very familiar with the chipmunk version of Robert and the chipmunk version <laughs> of Joe. Wow, point two five is pretty comfortable for me. And I actually, since I I don't really like listening to my own voice, I find that if I listen to it at point two five, I feel like I sound better. And maybe I sound like a, a enough like a different person that I can kind of listen to myself more and not mm-hmm. judge myself. But when I'm at at, um, at at point five, yeah, it's 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 already a little maddening, and I I just can't do double time. It's oh, just yeah. too much. And yeah, and at a certain point for me as an editor, you know, obviously I'm looking for things that I need to you know cinch up or, or remove or whatever. At a certain point, I can't tell what people are saying anymore, so I have to stop. <laughs> I have to <laughs> slow it down again. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you can also of course stretch out sounds and uh, and so forth in order to to make music and create novel sounds. Uh, Pierre Schaefer made use of time stre- stretching, not so much to include Easter eggs or hidden information, but just as a part of the experimentation and music making. 
Um, I'm not sure offhand if there are n- notable examples of this, but I but I I feel like I've run across some examples in the past where some drone and ambient music uh, creators have used this effect. Like take something, really slow it down, and even if the source material is not ambient and drone, you can create an ambient and drone experience from it potentially. Uh, there, there, there's been a couple of very, uh, again, we're getting into like kind of like meme music at this point again, mm-hmm. but uh, a very popular example of this was bouncing around the internet a while ago. Uh, someone took the very popular Justin Bieber song, Baby, and they slowed it down by 800%. And the result <laughs> was beautiful. Uh, it was very ambient. Uh, many people compared it to like a Seguro song. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fun to listen to. And, and the, the cool part is, is that that kicked off the idea of like, oh, I can do this to anything, you know? And so people just started (laughs) applying this slow it down by 800% philosophy to nearly any song. And it always has basically the same ethereal, floaty, Seguros-like vibe, which makes me really want to speed up Seguros by 800% just to see what that'll sound like. (laughs) But I haven't done that yet. I'm sure someone has on the internet. So I'll have to check that out. But but it's fun. I, I In fact, I came across a... um, it was a website where they're, they're, the website's entire purpose was just to slow down audio that you fed into it, that you would feed in something and it would slow it down by 800% for you. It, it's it, it's a fun little trick. I mean, I think uh, just like all gimmicks, it can be overplayed and kind of loses its creativity, but mm. it's fun. It's fun stuff. Hmm. It reminds me a bit too of all this, of the uh, the science fiction and satirical ideas that uh, on one hand, Frank Herbert explored a little bit in the, the Dune books with the Samuda music, which is a type of music that we would listen to whilst doing the drug Samuda. And it's like you could only appreciate the music while your brain was altered by this drug because of potentially because of the way it slowed down or sped things up. And then also the British satire series Brass Eye uh, from Chris Morris, they had an episode on drugs that was a parody of um, like anti-drug hysteria in the UK. And they had a whole bit about this made up drug called cake. And there was a whole bit in there about like, this is the music that they listen to while they're on cake. And this is how it sounds to us. But if you're on cake, it sounds like this. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't help but bring that up. I literally just read a book about the uh, Pink Floyd debut album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I just finished mm-hmm. it like maybe a day ago. And there's actually a big chunk in there about that too. Really, really leaning into the idea of like, there's an audience here that is willing to put up with a 15 minute song. Most of them are on acid, but there is an <laughs> audience for this. Can can we, yeah. can we Pink Floyd pivot from being a single based band into an album based band where we can have those 15 minute songs and this kind of like internal debate about that. And of course, then you get into like all the Sid Barrett stuff and Roger Waters and it goes on to a whole other world. But uh but hey, if you enjoy this kind of talk, you should tune into Rusty Needles Record Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, tell everybody where they can find Rusty Needles Record Club, Seth. Uh, it's a podcast that I host weekly, new episode every Friday. Uh, I'm, I'm a big old music nerd, and I, I just need an outlet for, for talking about music. And uh, thankfully, Robert and Joe uh, are, are nice enough to have me on here to do it every once in a while. But uh, if you need it all the time, you look up any place where you find your podcasts, Rusty Needles Record Club, and you'll find me, uh, my friends, my co-hosts, and we talk about music. It's like a book club, but for music instead. And uh, each episode is a different album, and it's a great way to, uh, you know, 
have a surrogate music friend. It's a great way to uh, be introduced to new music, and it's a, a, a great way just to like kind of get some good recommendations. It's fun, because uh, in particular, a lot of the uh, episodes we do are uh, chosen by our listeners. So people will write in, say, hey, you got to listen to this, and mm-hmm. then that becomes the, uh, the the album of that week. So it's it's fun. It's just a great way to open yourself up to the wide spectrum of music in the world. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close it out here. These two episodes on on hidden uh, material and music, Easter eggs and music, and so forth. But yeah, we'd love to hear from everyone out there. If you have thoughts on the techniques that we discussed in these episodes, if you have thoughts on the specific examples that we discussed, and if you have new examples or new te- techniques that come to mind, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. A reminder that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a science podcast, and our core episodes publish on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays, we do Listener Mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short-form Artifact or Monster Fact. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. Thanks, uh, as always, to Seth for uh, not only co-hosting these two episodes, but also uh, producing Stuff to Blow Your Mind and Weird House Cinema in general. And if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.